podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. We get you set for week 18 of the NFL crunch time, kind of. I mean, we sort of know pretty much what the playoff picture is going to look like with one or two exceptions. So we're going to dive a little bit more into that, the postseason, the contenders, the runners and riders with the best X's and O's guys in the business. In my humble opinion, he is always a fan favorite when he comes on the show. This is going to be no exception. Sit back, relax, and be educated by the brilliant Ollie Connolly. Ollie, good to see you, man. How's life? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, I am weighing up what I think about week 18. I don't know how I feel about week 18. You know, this whole, ever since the, the playoffs were expanded, the season was expanded, I'd struggled with realigning. Uh, Records, that's been a, a consistent uh, misstep for me for much of the year. Uh, Jeff Fisher somewhere is, is uh, stroking his tash. I'm just about up to speed with that now with a kind of 10 and 7. I'm just about okay with that. I'm not sure where I feel I feel about Week 18, though, when look at the slate, look at how many teams are almost certainly going to be resting players, how few games really matter. I don't know if it is. It feels like it's one game too far. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it's a real dud for the league. I imagine they expected when they first did it that you would give every team an extra chance to get into the playoffs. You would kind of kick that down the line. Everyone would have something more to play for going into the season. We, we come, as you say, to this final week, and I think there's one game probably that really matters. Um, there's, there's fun narrative stuff, but you know, you've got quarterbacks all over the league getting surgery to not play for the rest of the season. You've got team saying should we just bench our famous quarterback for the unknown guy just to see if we have anything because it's not worth taking the hits going into next season mm. um so yeah it, it's a bit of a dud i mean long term bad luck it's it bad luck as far as the nfl are concerned yeah i mean the one thing you'll say from is they they've kind of they've kind of had it pretty good for most of the season from that kind of record standpoint right of people being invested for the whole season because everyone's been so much of muchness it's been so average it's not as if you've had four runaway division leaders and a couple of, of fun divisions there. Mm-hmm. Everyone's been so much for much as they've had kind of a uh, winning your in feel for six, seven weeks, right? So they've just had a, they've had a really lucky strike save. though sometimes the product hasn't been that great overall. Mm. It is. Um, it, I do. I think, I think I'm okay with the expanded playoffs, particularly for the reasons you've just given when there is this condensed pack of so-so to reasonably good teams with maybe one or two, very good teams in each conference. It has made for quite a gripping season in that respect as well. I think it's going to get difficult down the line when things are a little bit more binary and we have whatever the equivalent of that seven and nine Carolina Panthers team that, <laughs> that made the playoffs a few years back, whatever that looks like in 2025. I think then, so in that respect, they might have been unlucky with the way the cards have fallen with Week 18, but I think they'd be quite lucky in the fact that as you've outlined, there haven't really been many exceptional teams this year and a lot of teams are very similar level yeah it, it gives it the sense of like can we just get there already this one this year does feel like a week too far you must wish there was some kind of sports czar who could come down from on high and say okay look good <laughs> idea for the 18th week but this year let's knock that on the head we know who the good teams are we know that one of these five teams will get in the playoffs and get bounced immediately so let's just let's just uh, fast forward to the playoffs already 
I think Mike Ditka should be that person. I think <laughs> yeah. Ditka, they should just cut to a room and Ditka can decide. <laughs> he could have have a have a bit like a kind of wheel that they the arrow can go either way and he can spin it <laughs> and then we'll, we'll decide. Uh, all right, there's a, there's a ton to get into because we haven't caught up with you for a while. Uh, I want to start with developing story of Antonio Brown and developing in so far as in the last 24 hours, I certainly woke up, we woke up in, in the UK to the statement he put out, the help of his lawyers, which Shefty, I think, tweeted first, but it's, it's been widely distributed now. And in it, uh, to, to paraphrase and to summarize it, he claims that the uh, Bucks made him play injured, that Arians was aware he was injured, that uh, apparently, I think from what I can gather, Ollie, he seems to indicate that Arians pulled the Undertaker... <laughs> Slit throat move at one point when when Antonio Brown refused to go in. And it, at the end of the quite lengthy statement, suggested that he's, he's going to be back. So this is, I think, an interesting development because whatever you feel about Antonio Brown and the accuracy of or otherwise of, of his position and his uh, his claims, we know that this goes on in the NFL, right? That players are routinely playing banged up that are often shot up with various things that help them play through the pain. So in that respect, it's an entirely plausible position for him to, to take, isn't it? It's a really tough one because we're just working here with the worst martyr possible because I think the whole culture shifted to this era of player empowerment across sports and whatever kind of facsimile you kind of break that thing down where now everyone would agree if that ever came out and that came out post game where he didn't have kind of the tantrum leaving the field or whatever yeah. was happening there mental health wise, we'd all go, wow, this is a really messed up situation. You know, everyone mm-hmm. would come down on areas. They would come down the books. You would have people in the RARA football camp saying, no, this is the toughness of the sport. It's what it is. You'd have maybe the younger, more progressive sports, fan sports commentators saying, no, you've got to, you know, uh, talk about uh, the employees and not the employers and then take that side of things. It's just dealing with this guy specifically makes it really mm-hmm. tough because you never know what the motive is. Um, you can never get a sense of if he knows what the reality of the situation is. It, mm. It's just a really difficult one. And what I think is happening here now is his situation of uh, that sounds completely plausible beyond the fact that he went off the field doing jumping jacks. So yeah. <laughs> he undercut his own argument in a sense there. It wasn't like he hobbled off the field. You know, he ran off and was doing jumping jacks and throwing things into the stands. But this becomes a union matter now, right? He's just the, the player being shuffled through the union. The lawyers, you cannot cut players for being injured. The reason he's on the book still, I am guessing, is because mm. they have evidence that he has an injury as he's, he's tried to put out there this morning. Um, and you just can't do that. That's a, it's a violation of collective bargaining agreement. So, um, yeah, it becomes now more where he's just player X, I think, being put through the, the sphere of the union and how that mm. breaks down with the union and the owners and, and, and front offices, as opposed to it being about this guy in particular, yeah. which is what makes it interesting culturally. It does. And clearly, uh, as is often the way with a, uh, I'd say a situation like this, like we've ever seen anything quite like this before, but as is often the way, I guess, when a player is involved in a contractual dispute, a lot of people around him who make a lot of money out of that association uh, uh, I'm sure offering their perspective on which direction this should should be taken, and Antonio Brown is is duly obliging. The the key thing on the claims he's making, and perhaps specifically the Arians stuff, whether because he's called out Arians and said he told me to go back in. I told him I couldn't go back in because I was banged up, and Arians said that I'm finished. That you know that's it. You're out. Or words to that effect, basically, because 
Brown is contending because he wasn't prepared to go back in because he was injured. Then Arian said enough already. You're done. Uh, that I think is, is is interesting. Like you said, we have no idea with a guy like this and his track record, how plausible that claim is. The other side of it, very quickly, because I don't want to spend a huge amount on it, is next year. Let's, irrespective of how this gets sorted out between the Bucks and, and Brown, and there's no way back now. I think there were suggestions that because they hadn't cut him, oh, maybe Brady is pleading to to take him back. And then clearly that was fanciful and that's not going to happen, right? But he end, the end of the road with him at the Bucks. Does the team take a flyer on him next season? I can't imagine so at this point because it, it's just uh, the only way it would happen is in this this season we've had of all the the COVID stuff where someone might say let's bring him in for this week I guess and we'll keep around two three weeks. Mm. Um, I can't imagine if you're trying to build either a, a long term situation or even a medium term situation just for that year that you would decide this is the guy you want to go with because there's just no reliability. You cannot be in a situation no matter how talented this guy is where you wake up every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with that thumping in your chest because you don't know what's going to happen when you check your phone in the morning. This isn't the NBA, right? Where mm. you take those risks on those guys because only there's only five guys on the floor and it only really matters if you have one of the four best players in the world. That's why you, you kind of take those risks sometimes on the margins. Mm. The NFL level. I mean, he has been legitimately the best receiver in the league, probably behind Cooper Cup this year. He has been out of his mind good on the field. Um, and I still think teams will just say not worth it because it's not just will he turn up to the building? Will he then leave the building midday? There's all the legal stuff as well. There's all that stuff still out there in the background. And it was mm. this specific situation that was allowed him back into the league when the rest league had already said, no, it's this mm. one guy with a unique sense of power in the league, Tom Brady, who was able to bring him back into the team when the coach, the owner, the GM didn't want to. Right. So mm. you're going to have to find that guy somewhere else. And there just isn't one of those anywhere else in the league. What does his absence do? to an already affected and banged up box offense, even particularly with Godwin out m- most significantly, how dramatic a loss is it going to be for them in terms of their playoff and, and ultimately Super Bowl ambition? It's huge. I think it drops them down to that clump of teams like the Cardinals, where you can see them have an off day and then get rolled in a divisional round. You know, they're not quite the juggernaut they were um, when they had all those pieces together. What they've lost to me, which is the most essential thing, is balance, but balance not in the sense of, you know, the old school balance sense of offense is, you know, we run the ball half the time, we throw the ball half the time. True balance in the modern game is when we're in first and 10 or second and meeting kind of our downs as the offense, we can do anything in the playbook. That means it can run the ball inside, outside, RPO, deep play action shots, quick screens. Every full menu in our playbook is available to us on our downs. And when you lose Brown, you lose Godwin, you lose Fournette, they just slowly rip out the little Jenga pieces they go along and, mm-hmm. and they become way more predictable now than they would normally be. And they're going to have a real tough time attacking man coverage in, in short distances because you can just double Mike Evans quite comfortably. And he isn't kind of the get off the line quick underneath speedster anyway, which is where Godwin was so effective in the slot and where Brown would just was so much money, which was those short intermediate routes is getting off the line so quickly. They just don't have those pieces anymore. So everything has to take more time to develop. And they do have the offensive line to help to do that, but they're just kind of, their, their margin for error now is, is so much slimmer than it was before. And mm. we've seen this post the Indianapolis game, right? When they'd be cycling these guys, they've kind of had weeks where two of them have played and one of them hasn't because of COVID and because of, of, of minor injuries. 
when teams know Gronkowski is the second piece, they've had real problems with that. It's when Gronkowski is the fifth piece. And then it's like, okay, this thing becomes unstoppable. And mm. Gronkowski, everyone goes, oh, he looks great. He looks refreshed. Well, he does. He's open, but open often through scheme design because everyone else is so good and you have it's to occupying attention. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Okay, let's look uh, ahead to the playoffs through through week 18. And as we said, not a huge amount to, to play for, but nevertheless, in terms of the the Titans and Chiefs and sorting the number one seed out in the playoffs. Is there any way the Titans stumble against the Texans? I mean, can you see a, a, suddenly a challenging game and they've got one on the playoffs anyway, or is that a, a fait accompli that they've got it locked in? Um, I mean, they should win, of course, but I mean, that Texans team is sneakily frisky given mm. how bad we thought they would be. Davis Mills is not awful. David Mills is not awful. And where are you on Cully as well? Cully getting the gig full time. Yeah, Cully deserves or, or rather an extension. Yeah. yeah, and squeezing every drop of non-talent out of that roster. Yeah, Mills, sure. Mills throwing the deep ball is a real thing. He, he's actually quite good when he's given time to throw the ball down the field. So if you've got someone who can throw the deep ball well and you hit two a game, and this Titans team is, I mean, they are full and ass backwards into the playoffs. It's not like anyone's excited about them. Everyone's like, well, if they can just hold on till they get their real player back to run yeah. their real offense, maybe they have a shot. So it's not as if they're running into this thing and there's just a steam train and everyone's like, get out of the way of the Titans. You know, on that, on that, I'm keen to get your perspective on this. With I and Mike on the show earlier this week, we were talking about coach of the year candidates, right? And mine is is very bold for that very reason that they're sitting here in week 18 in top spot without their best player. And as you said, they've been scrapping away, winning all kinds of different ways. That has to be a significant or put down significantly to, to the job Rabel's got. We knew at the start that his defense was you know, indifferent on paper and it's been playing out of its skin at times. He did lose um, everyone. Everyone said, oh, no, Henry's gone. That's I'm not even sure they're going to make the playoffs down. Here they are. Almost certainly going to be the number one seed. That's got to be, Vrabel's got to be shortest for coach of the year, doesn't he? Yeah, and they've been terrible on offense. It's not like they've been good and it's like, oh, wow, what a job they've done. It's like, no, they've actively been as bad as you would suspect they would be when mm. Henry went out. And yet somehow they've still won games with defense and special teams, especially. He's an interesting guy because he really gets put at least from my perspective, from the outside looking in, into kind of that Dan Campbell territory of yeah. like rah, rah. Yeah. Name, he's, he's a big guy. fella. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's so ahead of it all, has been until the league is now up. Schematically, he's been doing the stuff that everyone gets excited about, Fangio and Staley and these guys. Way, when he was um, the, the DC at Houston, they were basically running what the Cardinals run now, which is like, oh, wow, it's really exotic stuff and all the blitzing and all the moving parts, mm. all that stuff you could lift up and drop on those teams that had Clowney and Watt and they had that really insane uh, down five front. So, he, I mean, he's as good as it gets. It's just, he's almost he's been put into the wrong category of what mm. he really does. It's like, oh, he's the motivator of men. It's like, I don't think so. I think he's actually quite the chess player and he, he just looks like a big guy who benches. I think that's, that's, that's <laughs> what he is. Yeah, that's so true. And it's a, not a fashionable market. That definitely has a bearing on it. If he was doing this in Dallas, he'd be the darling of the yeah. of, of the mainstream media, I'm for sure. Okay, so unlikely they're going to slip. Where are you on the Chiefs? Last time we caught up, you were, uh, it's kind of midway through the season, I think maybe just before, and we were talking uh, in depth about their rebooted offensive line and you had already seen some pretty encouraging signs, if I recall, of, of how the line was, was gelling and that, continue to to play out you call that bang on and i think that's been instrumental in the chiefs resurgence but of course they're now uh, affected there with injury going into the playoffs how 
much do you think will that impact the uh, the progression they've made offensively? The fact the line's a little bit banged up. I think it hurts for a couple of reasons. The main thing is where they've really struggled with the run game. The big point around their run game is obviously everyone's playing with two deep safeties and you got to try and run those defenses out of playing those two deep safeties. If they do that, if you spin against Kansas City, they win the Super Bowl. It's basically that simple because their players are too good. The quarterback's too good. The only chance is to play too deep and hope Mahomes gets frustrated. So as the offense, they have to try and run those teams out of playing two deep safeties. The only way to do that is to just pound the run game. Um, and be successful, which they have done all season long. The issue I've had running towards the playoffs is that they don't do a whole lot. It's pretty predictable. And you can kind of start then um, gumming things up creatively by formation as a defense in the front without having to necessarily put someone down. Mm. So what I've said for the last six, seven weeks is they've just got to start doing more stuff, run more stuff, certainly from under center. They don't have, they don't run a lot from under center. You got to do more of that. Then you can get more of the classic play action shots. Like you see with San Francisco and, and the like, and to do that, I, I thought it was like, cause they've done this before the last two seasons is they saved a lot of stuff for the playoffs. I thought, well, maybe we'll see that once they get, now they know they're going to make the playoffs that they'll, they'll kind of drip feed some of that stuff in. Once you start taking some of those offensive linemen out, I get a bit worried that they'll say, okay, let's just keep doing what we do. And we will right. maybe see more of that. We won't see some more diversification in the run game. Because that to me is a big thing. It's not even necessarily it has to be that successful. Mm-hmm. They really have to show some new looks, particularly just getting more mass in there to mm-hmm. say, you really have to commit to this because we're now committed to, to running the football, um, which I know it sounds old school and all that type of stuff. But no, it really doesn't. I mean, I mean for them it, it, to, to move the ball. In many respects, that's what a successful play action offense is based on, right? It's not necessarily it's an overtly successful ground game, but it's the fact that the ground game is there and you've got to take it seriously. You've got to consider yeah. it. So for sure. Out of actually, before I ask this, I want to get into the what is the play-in game, right? So the 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 Raiders charges. Which of those two teams do you think deserves to be in the playoffs more? Uh deserves. I mean, that 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 is almost loaded in a sense, like you feel bad for the Raiders and what's happened to them all season. It so was kind, of won, <laughs> kind of one for the guys in the huddle to say, God, that seems like it's been a really tough year. That Seems like it's not being fun. You guys get a shot. I love the charges. I think, you know, in the next five, 10 years, they got a real special chance here. Let's give this one to the Raiders. So I think if I had said deserved, mm-hmm. I give it to the Raiders. I want to see who could really make a run at this thing. I, I think the charges would be the team. They're the more, what the more dangerous team going into the playoffs. You think why? Um, I mean, one, you have the, the special quarterback who can do anything, you know, and that that's really exciting. I think we've spoken on here before about Brandon Staley and where he's at kind of defensively and his ability to come up with a one-off game plan that could really upset someone in the postseason in a way that I just don't think the Raiders won't have the, the tools in terms of their defensive staff or the pieces to carry that out. They do have an elite pass rush that helps. Um, so yeah, I think if you have a game planner who could just do something one week that no one's seen all season, which is what mm-hmm. Staley is apt to do. And you have a quarterback who's like the best player in the league on third down. That, that That's a pretty good cocktail for the, the playoffs. Yeah, a fair point. It's a sucker punch it. The Raiders gig is up for grabs. How appealing given, I mean, you're right. The way they've dealt with adversity is testament to what a number of key players. Carr, obviously an underrated player. I think he's been... Uh, excellent for much of the season on the field and a, and a proper leader off the field as well. Renfro, love love the way he's developed. Waller, we all know all about, although his injuries haven't uh, uh, you know haven't helped their cause this season. Jacobs, you know, hits and misses, but is is 
a real upside. The offense has a lot of upside. You mentioned the pass rush. There are it's a lot to like about this Raiders side. Do you think it's going to appeal all these hipster and Vogue-ish coordinators and, and college coaches that are going to be doing the rounds for the head coaching gigs? Where's this going to sit on the on the peck in the pecking order? Do you think? I don't think it's quite at the top because you don't get the luxury of having the young quarterback on the rookie scale deal. And you're going to have to have a conversation about what we do with Derek Carr. And if you're looking at it and saying, so I have to get on the quarterback merry-go-round either this off season or in two off seasons, that's kind of up in the air. And I'd rather just know if we're either in it or not. That, that I think brings it down a bit. The, the massive thing they have going for them in the macro sense is that the owner doesn't care that much about the football stuff. He's mm-hmm. like, bring me season tickets and I would like a playoff game, please. <laughs> Which seems pretty reasonable, yeah. all things considered. And it's like, you can run the show. You can go into that building and say, well, I want X, Y, Z. I want this budget for a staff. I want to have control over the, the draft. And he'll say, cool. And he's not going to be texting you every day being like, oh, we should look at this guy in college. I've been up all night, you know, watching college tape. Mm-hmm. We'll never get that from Mark Davis. So I think that, that that stuff really plays into it. There's a reading that the guy who was there before who got all the control only came back to the sport for that gig, for that, gig. For that contract. Because there's like, yeah, you, it's your organization for 10 years. Go have mm-hmm. at it. So I've seen Jim Harbaugh link there. And I think in that sense, it's, one that seems cashing in on a successful college season, but it mm-hmm. and maybe an agent league, but it also is like it's the only guy in the league who would say, Here's a six year contract, would honor it because he can't afford to pay it out, and would say, You run the whole show. There is not another situation like that in the league right now. Yeah, Harbaugh's interesting uh, and great, great point, by the way. And Harbaugh's interesting because. I wonder if that is it's the it's the perfect time to walk away from Michigan. I know that the semifinal was a disappointment the way it went down, but uh, he's going to be able to top that, getting them to the playoffs. I'm not sure he is. It's a good time. For, I mean, some people say, well, now he can rebuild on this. And that was the rhetoric he used, obviously, in the in the presses in the immediate aftermath of the defeat was, well, you know, we've got to remember this is a really big step forward and yada, yada, yada. But I wonder whether this is a great shot for him to be, I got you to the playoffs. See you later. He's been there. You know, I love Michigan through and through, right? But maybe it's time to cash in his chips there. Yeah, and he was Michigan through and through until the last three, four years where they all turned on him. You know, it's no fun to be the local guy everyone knows when you're not doing good enough. It's fun <laughs> when you're winning. Um, it's, right. This becomes a lifestyle situation now. This, this college mm. to NFL thing is no longer about the schemes and the differences in play. It's just a lifestyle choice. Do you want to spend every day texting 17-year-olds who can now leave whenever they want and go mm-hmm. play somewhere else? And it's pure free agency. Every single player on your roster because of the NIL stuff is a free agent every single day. Or do you want to go to the league where it's a bit crazy, there's lots of turnover, but you at least know on Monday morning, those 53 guys are on my roster unless I decide to trade one. So it, it just becomes who is, that's a different type of personality. They want to get into that fight every day. It's Darbo Sweeney, it's Nick Saban. These guys are a little unhinged. They love mm-hmm. that fight. And then they play some games <laughs> during the year, right? So Jim Harbaugh, when I look at him, the issues they had at Michigan is he just wants to play the games. You know, he's like, bring me the tough guys and let's go play some football. That that screams more pro coach to me. I yeah, think, the, uh, yeah, and even what's even more clouded, uh, self evidently as well. Now, the, what was I guess the, the big appeal of the college game was that the lack of commercialization. So that relative ego check that that those players uh, were facing. That's gonna gradually but steadily go all out of the window now particularly the the big programs where they're making more that probably than even the very well-paid head coaches and god knows how the ego egos will spiral out of control there so out of those playoff teams in the afc then um let's talk through how you're seeing them 
uh, and how they're shaping up. So the Bengals are obviously the, the talk of the town with that freewheeling win and everybody loves them because they're so fun to watch. And it's a great story with the Byron Chase connection and this offense that is, is still driven by a ground game, but is capable of that big hitting knockout blows. How much do you place, how much stock do you place in that win over the Chiefs as far as it gives them self-belief going into the playoffs? Would you get a sense that maybe that this is a year or two too soon for the Bengals to make a, a decent run at it? I really like this Bengals team. I really like them defensively. I think I've written about them more than anyone this year is that specific defensive group and more so just off pure expectations that Lou Anarumo, who is the DC there, really old school, stuck in his ways, guys. That's been his reputation forever. And this year he was like, okay, I'm getting into the new age. Let's do all really cool, creative, quirky stuff. I got this Von Bell character playing safety. I'm going to use like Isaiah Simmons in Arizona Mm. and he can play in every different spot on the field. And we're going to try some stuff. Let's go have some fun. That's what it looks like when when you watch them on defense. And that is similar to the offense, right? Where it's like, we don't call a bunch of plays. We just put the ball in Joe's hands and we say, you figure it out. And that's what they do. They are, to me, so dangerous because there's a real... Um, from almost a psychological standpoint, there's, they're so unafraid of everyone. Yeah. I don't think they care. Burrow has such a swaggering arrogance of, I know I'm the best, and mm. Chase feels it too. I think that it's the, the classic thing of the franchise quarterback when they say like he's the CEO of the team, that emanates through the entire roster. I yeah. think the scaredest person in the building is the head coach. He often looks terrified. <laughs> he's look, he looks like he has no sense of what's happening half the time, and everyone else is like, no, man, come along for the ride. Well, I think this is a pretty special group. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I think they are right now that the scariest offense in the league on third down. And if, if you have that as your base point, you can beat anyone anywhere, essentially. Um, Isn't that is the line the big concern, the offensive line, the, the big concern for you? Yeah. And, and it's really bad. Um, but Burrow has been outrageous against five man pressures, whether that's just the five man rush, which is what a lot of the league bases out of now, if you're sending a, a true blitz. Um, I mean, he just he just destroys it. You kind of have to innately back up now. That's that's mm. what they've done to you. Is everyone has been so terrified of Jamar Chase over the top and having Higgins and Boyd too and, and Uzumoa the the tight end. It's if they just had the one guy, that would be a real problem. It's how good Boyd and Higgins are. So now everyone right. has to play in retreat. We're all playing too deep. We're playing quarters. We're playing cover two. And it's like, well, you can only send so many in the rush if you're dropping that many back. Well, there's a giant void in the middle of the, of the field, and what happens is you get Jamar Chase catch and run, and as we saw. Last week, he'll just outrun everyone. <laughs> Looking at, and you've, you've just talked about the strength and depth with the Bengals. Who do you think has the um, the sharper edge going into the playoffs out of those two teams? I still think the Chiefs. I feel like that they did something really strange this year where they went from being the, the we spent, send all these guys in motion. You know, everything's like everyone's whizzing across the formation. You don't know where the ball is. Does the motion man have the ball? Where is the ball? Oh my God, Tyreek Hill's open 40 yards down the field. How did the most dangerous guy in the league get open down the field? And this year they just went, we're going static. We trust no one but Travis, Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. So we need those guys up on the ball, getting out in the route ASAP. And they just they just never threw to anyone else. And Travis Kelsey was really bad for about eight weeks of the season. One, he was the most held abused player at the line of scrimmage in the league it was just laughable that he was not he he was getting like the lebron treatment or the Shaq treatment or whatever like he was just not being officiated the same as anyone else in the league um it's almost the old school seattle we'll just hold every play and they can only call three or four of them um so that was happening to him constantly now that he's playing very well 
now. And they have gone a little bit back to over the last four weeks of we need to get some more motion, some more movement, some more creativity in the in this offense. And Patrick, you kind of have to throw the ball to Byron a couple of times. This thing only works as one big machine if they believe you'll at least throw it to him when he's wide open, which he was not doing for about eight weeks of the season. He just I think Byron Pringle's agent it was at Andy Reid's office about week <laughs> seven and, yeah. <laughs> and then, then it all changed. It's time. Yeah. Um, so I still think when that thing is all clicking, um, and it still feels every now and then you're watching, it's like something just doesn't feel right about this. Uh, it's all a bit disconnected, which you just never have got the sense of Andy Reid, his entire career that, you know, it's not all joined up thinking that one shouldn't follow the other. Right. It has felt like that at times. Like it's like they just call one and then the, the next one is disjointed from the last one. It's felt a bit more connected recently. And I do think that they are the staff similar to what the Patriots used to do back in the day, which is the second half of the season, just get into the playoffs. Mm. We save all the good stuff for the playoff run. And I imagine it'll be more like what we've seen the last two, three years from than it was for, for most of the start of the season. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I do, I get your point about the fearlessness of the Bengals, which I, I think can be underestimated at times because when you get to the playoffs typically, and this is a, an issue certainly with the Cardinals, particularly with, with JJ Watt and, and, and D-Hop down, not because of their productivity, that's obviously a, a, a massive problem, but that that leadership and those veteran smarts and this I think has been the book for for a long time or the concern for a long time about the Cardinals this season has been wow and they're up against Arians and Brady and you know and I, I think that can be overstated at times you know the the importance of experience in in the playoffs but the flip side of that the inexperience I think isn't overstated much of the time I think you see time and time again it, individuals whether it's you know a quarterback in particular or a head coach overawed by the occasion missteps at crucial moments and it's the, the fine margins often at, in the deep waters of the playoffs but the exception to that rule is this utter moxie laden fearlessness that is just rife across the Bengals I mean yeah it, it, it has a real schematic value and that sounds odd but when you watch the Bengals and I think I've said this on here before I've said it everywhere that's, that's talked to me this this year about the Bengals team I say Zach Taylor I don't think is very good I've said this over and over again. I don't think the plays make a ton of sense. I don't think there's any kind of Zach Taylorism. I think he just finds the greatest plays in the league and the most classic plays, and they've run them again and again and again. And their run game is the most predictable thing out of anything in the league is the Bengals' run game. You can tell by the set of the bag where the ball is going. Nothing is joined up. There's no rhythm. There's no sequencing. So if you're playing in that kind of system, you need sometimes to say, as Boris said, bleep it, I'm throwing deep. And if you mm. go through the numbers, they bleep it and throw it deep <laughs> over and over again to find Jamar down there because guys aren't open through play design. It's not like there's coverage busts wide open because of some really creative motion or, or cool uh, scheme quirk. Mm. They have to have a quarterback who says, I think I'm more accurate than anyone in the league. I think I'm more accurate 20 yards down the field than anyone in the league. And I think I've got the best receiver in the league. And they really yeah. believe that. And so they throw it over and over again down the field. Okay. Other contenders in the AFC quickly, and then we'll, we'll look at the NFC, the Patriots. Were we getting a little bit too carried away with the Patriots three, four weeks ago, do you think? I'm not sure. I, it, it's again a uh, question of expectations, right? People were ready to write off the whole Belichick thing early in the season. I think this is, they are who they are. I think defensively, they're, they're outstanding. Um, they're really creative and interesting defensively. Um, and then they do, just are limited on offense. I th they cannot uncover from man coverage. And it's just, the game becomes so hard when you can't do that. I, I went through the, the Colts game two days ago to write about this. And they're playing a Colts team, which we all know the Colts, that's a zone dense team. They're not that fussed about man coverage. And those players could not get off the line of scrimmage. Okay. It's about 20, 30 snaps that happening in the game where Mac Jones hits the top of his drop. 
No one is open. And they made some unbelievable throwing catches. Kendrick Bourne has been outstanding this year. He's a really tough receiver over the middle of the field. Mac Jones is really accurate and excellent throw of the ball down the field. But it's just hard to do that. It's so unsustainable to say going into the playoffs, we have a team that cannot get off man coverage. At some point, you're going to run into a Jair Alexander if you get that far. And that's just game over. So if what no one what would you one. change up if, if the foundation's there? And this is something that... Uh, Obviously, it's been well documented that Belichick reverted from type in terms of how much he spent in the offseason and, and, and the way he approached the draft. And you can extend it back. I'm pretty sure you and I spoke about this last time you were on, extend it back to, to last season. And uh, he, he realized he had something then in a wholly lackluster roster and still kept them competitive and has built on that. The defense is, is as you say, on point, unsurprisingly there and with a clarity of vision and, and, and direction. And there are a lot of positives about the offense. So what needs to be added to the latter to turn them from, okay, a solid playoff team to a Super Bowl contender, do you think? They need someone who can win on the outside. And I get that anyone who follows the Patriots, listens to this is like, well, that they get the tight ends, they do the backs, you know, they run the 2011 offense. Fully understand that, get that's what they want to do. They do not believe in paying wide receivers at that kind of top cap level because it, it filters through the rest of the roster. They think the market inefficiency is getting in the back out of the backfield and then getting the tight ends. Totally get that. But if you cannot get off man coverage down the field on third and medium, you have absolutely no chance of winning in the playoffs. Mm. And we've seen that throughout the, the remainder of the season. They destroy zone coverage. As I mentioned, they make big catches against man coverage. It's not like they can't win doing that. It just makes the game really hard. And the, the, the trickle-down effect is that everyone can squeeze co- close to the line of scrimmage. And then that starts to impact your run game, which is the world they, they want to live in now, which is running and play action in, the, in this early Mac Jones era. Mm. They just need someone to win outside. And that doesn't mean you have to go and get you know, Antonio Brown, we mentioned before. Doesn't mean you got to go and trade a first-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. This needs to get a guy who can get open down the field, breaking outside. I mean, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones in Cleveland, right? Yeah, right. Take him in the third, fourth round. Yeah, um, yeah. That guy gets open all the time outside the numbers down the field. He is not an all-world player. It just would give them a dimension, right? At the moment, they're running out Nikhil Harry, who is a tight end, dresses a wide receiver. And they put in there, they've said this openly because we think he's a great perimeter blocker. They understand how limited they are. And they're like, well, what can we do to try and close the margin is we'll be the best perimeter run team because this guy's really big. They know they cannot get guys open outside down the field. So mm. they got to go and try and find that guy. And they've been really bad at drafting them. And they tried to get Nelson Aguilar, of course. So maybe they can dip back into free agency or they can find someone to draft, but they just need to add that element that would back everyone up and would just make life so much easier for Mac Jones. Okay, let's talk NFC. And uh, starting in the West, we touched on the Cardinals a minute ago. They can win the division if the Rams lose. The Rams, to, to lock it in, need to win. The Niners need a win to get their playoff spot or, or just hope the Saints lose. So it's probably the most interesting division going into to week 18 in terms of what is to play for. If we start with the Rams, because they're an intriguing bunch, of course, they're an all-in team. And I, I think all-in is next year too, by all accounts, right? It's not like it's this season or bust, but after that it gets, uh, I suspect, pretty messy. And they are one of a number of teams that at times have had flashes and moments and phases where you think, okay, yeah, yeah. They're Super Bowl contenders. And then mm, not so much, which is entirely consistent with virtually every team that, that's going into the playoffs, I guess. But timing being everything right now, Stafford seems to be unraveling before our eyes at the, at the worst possible time. Everybody was all in on uh, Stafford when the Rams are playing quite a weak schedule, right? And not particularly difficult mm-hmm. opponents. He's burning it up. Then Woods gets hurt. 
everything seems to change. They seem to then sort that out. But then he, I mean, look at the numbers here. He's had 15 interceptions and five fumbles. So he's prolific and, and is able to, uh, has moved on the offense beyond Goff fairly obviously in, in terms of how expansive or how they become more expansive with what he can offer them. But is it a little bit robbing Peter to pay Paul if he's that free and easy with, with the ball and, and giving it up? What have you made of Stafford's quite, I think, fascinating season? Oh, we could be here for six hours discussing <laughs> this Rams and the Stafford situation. It's the most confusing thing in the league. Yeah. What, what, what's really bizarre is that when they got Matthew Stafford, everyone's like, wow, that's a real big move to go and get, just remove Jared Goff from the jigsaw piece and plug in a guy who we all admit is better. Now, where you put Stafford in the pecking order, I think is individual preference. A lot of people really think he's high up there and was held Where do you have him? I, I had him, had, I'll clarify, right, <laughs> right, right in that top top list i really think that he if you go back to when he had jim bob cooter as oc and when he had a real offense <laughs> in, in detroit he was the real real deal uh, as good as it gets in the league um so you that was the expectation and you come into the season they say no we don't run the rams offense anymore now we are just a spread offense they run basically an air raid system which is empty everyone out no movement they have the the lowest rate of motion or shifting in the league of any team they were the highest throughout the entire mcveigh era yeah and they say it's all on stafford read it and throw it we're going to get everyone out in the route you that should give you the coverage id pre-snap snap the ball and go and just get it out quickly and so they said it's on your shoulder it's got nothing to do with coaching anymore and I'm just i'm just so baffled why they thought that was the way to go with him when it mm. was rolling so and i get the league evolved and we've all talked about how the league has tried to stop those shannon and mcveigh offenses but they went so far in the other direction and I watch them every week and I'm just crying out for, could you just add in half again? You know, it's cool to add some of this in to take away what the defense has tried to do across the league to slow mm. you down. But can we have some of that at least? <laughs> we just need some easy access throws. That's what they like most of yeah. the time is easy throws. Have they, have they ever really replaced, well, they've never replaced Todd Gurley and, and the peak Todd Gurley, right? But is that is that the core of it, do you think, being an X's and O's guy? Do you look at it, and, and with Akers going down so late in the day, how much do you think that changed their game plan right on the eve of the season? I don't think it, it did that much because they've had plenty of opportunity to do that. I mean, when they played the Texans, the, that Texans team was embarrassing at that time. They could have hammered them with the run. I mean, they did do it at points and that was a fairly brutal game in terms of them running the ball. Uh, I, this is who they want to be. I really believe that. I mean, they've had ample opportunity to, to change up mid-season to, to revert back to the old ways and to try it. I think that they, they really think this is the way because of how defenses across the league have adjusted to them they thought this was going to be the best mode of attack. And that's why they got Stafford, not for the reasons most people suspect, because they wanted to make this, this giant shift to being a spread offense. And it's just been so inconsistent and up and down, as you said, that the first six weeks of the season, they were so good. Stafford was going to be the MVP because people were not expecting to see 50% of empty formations in the NFL. That is, that is unheard of. That just does not happen in the NFL. It's, it's unsustainable. Mm. And then when people were like, okay, they're running that, let's adjust our coverages. It's been pretty weak ever since. I mean, they've been one of the worst third down offenses in the league for 10 weeks now. I mean, with that that artillery they have, that quarterback, that coach, that receiver, and they had the pair of receivers for a lot of the season, that, that is so, so bad. Um, one thing I'll note that's really interesting within the last couple of weeks is, so like I said, they go into empty formations, right? So three receivers on one side of the field, two on the other side, only the quarterback in the backfield. When Robert Woods was there, what they did was they would split up Woods and Cup and they kind of 
they run these concepts where there's a quick concept to one side of the field and a late breaking one to the other side of the field. And it's read the quick one. If it's there, get rid of the ball. If not, instead of it all being quick timing and you know the whole play is over, you'll have a second option deep down the field. It's it's kind of a split hybrid concept. Aaron Rodgers did this with a uh, Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. They run their entire offense through that. It's pretty cool. Mm. So they would have Cup to one side, the quick breaking side, and then they have Woods run the deeper stuff. When Woods went down and they brought in Odell Beckham, originally they did that same thing and it was a bit of a mess. Now they've put Cup and Beckham together and they're torching people. Yeah, they're back to being the last three weeks, the best third down offense in the league now. So they've made a real shift of saying we're still the same philosophically, but them integrating Beckham into the offense, it took a bit of time, but he has been really, really good the last three or four weeks. And I think that is a giant shift for them to say, we are leaning so much into the quick side of things and we're going to force the defense to say, can you take away Cup and Beckham working in tandem together as opposed to breaking our two best pieces apart? It really changes what they look like as an offense, but no one's been able to stop it thus far. That is fascinating analysis, Ollie. And uh, on Beckham, it was interesting early on, given the speed that they like to move, albeit with the differences to the prototypical McVay offense that you've outlined, that that was very hard early on because Beckham didn't know what he was, when he was coming or going to know what was going on. And that obviously is, has progressed. And he, could he be the playoff Lenny of, uh, of the, yeah, honestly, of that, that's, that's a, not a bad shout because when he, they first came in, they were like, okay, you do the Robert Woods stuff. Now Robert Woods was a tight end playing tight end stuff that we all call the wide receiver because he looks like a wide receiver. He was mm. blocking like a tight end. The route tree he ran was a tight end. We just, he looks like a wide receiver. We, he's listed as a wide receiver on Madden. People think he's a wide receiver. He's it was a tight end. So when Odell Beckham came in there and they kind of, he was on a rep count. So he didn't get a ton of those reps in the, the really condensed stuff. And he was more of a pure wide receiver. I think they've now got over kind of the trauma of how, what a unique advantage it was to have Cup and Woods function as tight ends looking like wide receivers. It was yeah. such a unique advantage that they finally got over that and said, we, okay, now we have to change the offense a little bit, which has been to say, we'll keep all the empty stuff and we'll pair Woods, well, sorry, we'll pair Beckham and Cup together as two true receivers and we'll make them figure it out. Now they either have to double that side with four players. That's really hard to do. And then good luck with the three receivers to the other side and only one of uh, Jefferson and all the other guys are rolling out there has to get open. And if they can't do that, well, we're never going to win the thing anyway. That, that's <laughs> what they've done. Yeah. Fair play. That is really, really interesting. Oh, um, onto the Cardinals. I know we touched on them earlier. I wrote about them. I don't know. It must be last week. I think, cause it was around the time that it was the week before when the ridiculous, uh, as our friend I and Mike would say, mouth clowns were shouting about maybe Kingsbury's not the right guy. And he, Kingsbury's on the hot seat was maybe my favorite um, ridiculous narrative of the, of the season so far, because this is a team that uh, maybe not to the same degree as, as Vrabel, but he's had to deal with pretty significant amount of <laughs> injury and adversity and winning games with Colt McCoy, I think deserves a, a prize in itself. Uh, this easy, easy connection. Why do Kingsbury teams fall off? the radar in the second half of the season or why do they regress so significantly? It's not a reasonable thing to apply this season, given the injuries to Kyler and, and, and obviously Hop, uh, And the fact that maybe we were getting overstating, I guess, the impact of Rondale Moore, who's terrific to watch, but uh, still quite a raw player and Christian Kirk. Okay. A solid pro, but given some of the receiving calls we've talked about, they're not at the same level. That's I know AJ Green started to come to the party now as well, which which is, is clearly helped and he hadn't hadn't before. Is it reasonable to say that Kingsbury is unfairly maligned, or are you in the camp of okay, he's not on the hot seat, but something isn't right here? 
Well, I think he gets it in the way Mike McCarthy gets it because the thing that should be the easiest and the thing that's the most obvious to see, which is game management, is one of his weakest things. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like, man, I could call the timeouts. You really, most people at home, I mean, they probably could do if you've watched enough football. Go well, uh, and usually, yet yeah, these teams pay someone two hundred grand from the Ivy League to, to whisper in the ear <laughs> to tell them when to do it. So you watch and you go, how can you not get that part right? That seems mm-hmm. really easy. Um, and there is some stuff. I mean. Again, it's a degree of expectations. Who thought they were going to be a juggernaut coming into? Yeah, I thought they had a chance to be excellent, but I didn't think they were going to win 15 games. So I I don't understand why it would be then caving in on him when he's lost in what is a weird season for everyone. That mm. he's then lost all these huge pieces. I think the thing that is so notable about them is they are a two-man team, which is unusual. And you often say, um, if you don't know what to say, frankly, but you know, you would default to quarterback wide receiver. I mean, they are completely set by the quarterback and the wide receiver. You pull one of them out and it's, it's a bit of a mess. And the thing that is his major issue for me is I think he's almost too involved where the, the guy is not an adjuster. You know, he's, the, he's not, um, he's a schemer. He has this big philosophy of how he wants the game to play. They run the same stuff every week. They're not adjusting to the opposition. They, they add stuff in throughout the season, but I would, I would imagine a lot of that is either preset, pre-planned, or when they think it's ready to go. It's not often opponent adjusted, if you will. It's not like they run stuff one week because they saw a team struggle with it the week before. I think he's a big picture. This is what I want the run guy. I don't think he's the best in the game at adjusting to what's happening in the game or adjusting over the span of the season to the opponents he's facing and or what his team is doing. Mm. I almost think he'd be better saying, I'm going to go and get a true play call to come in and, and look after this thing for me and I'll be the guy from the top. But, you know... It, each head coach runs the runs the thing differently, and they've had success. Uh, I I just think that you know you always look at Belichick as the best of the best of this stuff. And every year, every he runs what he needs to run. He's not running because he's like I think this thing I've designed is the best, and I run what I run as Bill Belichick. He runs whatever they need on any given week against any given team. Mm, yeah, yeah, it, all situational, and then some. With the other team, I want to talk to you about actually is the, is the Cowboys because. Going into the season, we knew they were going to be, well, we figured, we didn't know for sure, but we figured they were going to be amongst the best offenses around, Dak back and the range of weapons. The ground game has been quite intriguing there because clearly Zeke's been banged up for quite a lot of it. And what looked like a fascinating two-headed beast early doors with him and Pollard, maybe not so much now, but again, the, the resurgence it, it could could be bang on points. So we figured they were going to do damage as an offense, but defense obviously was the unknown quantity. There were too many unknown, relatively speaking, parts. Quinn coming in, uh, I guess his stock was down given how the last couple of years had played out for him as a head coach. And a lot of people I talked to anyway thought, well, this is a team that's going to be the 2021 NFL equivalent of a Kevin Keegan Newcastle side. <laughs> and and of course, it's been altogether different. Right? The defense has been lights out good. Uh, Parsons, of course, getting the majority of their headlines, but there are uh, lots of different pieces within there that have really stepped up and uh, overperformed or certainly hit their ceiling. And, and the defense has been much better than we expected. So you join that together. Why aren't more people talking up the Cowboys as serious Super Bowl contenders? Because I don't hear much noise about them in that capacity. Uh, maybe you will be somebody that will put us right, because I am surprised that they're not being taken more seriously as a Super Bowl site. No, I agree with you. I, it's something just, just feels off, though. I do understand that sentiment, if that is what is kind of pervading out in the culture. There's something about it where it's like, why is this not clicking the way it should click? Mm. As you mentioned, there's something about the offense for the last eight weeks where it's like, 
aren't you guys supposed to be better? How come you got all those three receivers back and it was worse? That doesn't make any sense. Why is the answer from Kellen Moore, who everyone believes is like the smartest guy in the game, right? That's what you always say. This guy is the best yeah. scheme designer in the game. Why did their screen rate go from five a game to 15 a game when he got the three receivers back? That's mm. the answer to having the three best receivers, the best receiver trio in the league is to throw a bunch of screens. It, it's quite bizarre. And then the other thing is like, so they, you just, are going to play with a sixth lineman on 40% of your plays. It, it's mm. really, it's, it's baffling. I, they should be so much better. You, I'm almost loath to talk about them in any kind of bad terms because at any point that whole thing should ignite. And I actually think right. Dak Prescott has been unbelievable. Mm. I mean, they ask him to do so much more than what is after the modern quarterback, honestly too much at this point. It's like, will you please be paid to Manning? It's like, don't really need that in the modern game. Most guys are playing see it, rip it football. You know, Joe Burrow is grabbing the ball, looking and firing. He's not doing all kind of the cool, creative. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I don't get why Dak doesn't get um, doesn't get more credit, really. And I think it's it's dogged from the start of his career. I guess there is the inevitable comparison with visibly and uh, aesthetically electric playmakers that he's not right. That are his contemporaries. Yep. I, I, that's obviously something that the optics there that don't connect, but. Yeah, you're right. The, the smarts of, of, of Prescott, I think, are really underestimated. And again, make it even more. Um, maybe that's what he'll start to do: is go, go or Peyton, and just call his entire his own plays. But Callum Moore, he was getting so much buzz at the start, and probably will still land a head coaching job, right? But he's getting so much buzz at the start of the season, and that seems. To, but do you think a lot of that is down to the uh, the lack of dynamism the ground game has had in the second half of the season? I mean, that's a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And and Moore's one of his great tricks in terms of the, the job type stuff is a lot of his stuff is based off a cool one-off trick play that's not really repeatable. And you see it, you go, that's really cool, well done, great stuff. But if you're taking the, the other um, 50 snaps, then you might start to get some concerns as you dig through. I mean, I like killing more, but really with that that firepower, they should just be blowing people away. Yeah. It should be what the books were when everyone was healthy. They should just blow people off the field every week. Um so I'm not sure. I think you look at them though, and we went, we talked before about kind of a playoff cocktail of having the third down playmaker and all that stuff. They turn the ball over on defense. They have maybe the best pass rush in the league. Mm. Um, they can, they should be able to run the ball when healthy because they got the best offensive line in the league. And then they got playmakers on the outside. So they really couldn't be better set up. I do feel like, and they've done this throughout the McCarthy time, right? They did this last year of like trying to rest some players some weeks. It's like they really have the attitude of get in and then figure it out. Um, and so I, they're another one similar to the Chiefs where I wouldn't be completely surprised if they if they ran stuff we have not seen all season. They looked a little bit different than we've seen all season because they, they have as an organization taken the the, the, uh, the stance since McCarthy got there that the only point is to get in the playoffs and then figure out matchup to matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one more for you on the Packers. Got to end on the Packers, I think. Because it, we're talking about teams that are use the phrase a moment ago that just don't feel convinced. Something feels a little bit off in, in terms of credentials. This was obviously what dogged the Packers last season, right? That their record belied a, a team that wasn't nearly as good. That's, I don't know if it's like a hangover from that. Rogers is, look, he's put two MVP seasons, but he's going to win it again, right? He's two MVP seasons back. They're banged up defensively. Maybe that will be ultimately their undoing. But again, I don't feel that they are necessarily, and maybe because no team is, maybe this is the point coming full circle, that we've established as pretty much no team that is confident is, is the real deal. To be rolling in as the top seed, the same thing. We're not wholly convinced. That appears to be the, the narrative. What about you? Looking at, uh, in detail, at particularly recent weeks of the Packers, what, what have you made of them as they shape up for the playoffs? I think they would be my favorite 
but it's we're talking about the thinnest of margins here. I just think they've got the most talent. They have maybe the best difference maker in the league right now, which is Rodgers. I think Lafleur has done the exact same stuff we, we spoke about with Rabel that they've managed to navigate all this stuff. I mean, they just lose linemen constantly and we don't talk about it because Aaron Rodgers always finds a way, but they do a really good job of being like, okay, the left tackle's out this week. So we're going to shift the game plan in this way X because the left tackle's gone. Okay. The right guard's out this week. Let's change it this way. It's not as if they just have wholesale change stuff. They are the best team at doing the week to week adjustments in the league, particularly on offense. Um, so I just have such a sense of confidence in the floor. And then obviously Rodgers has been, so good and is probably going to win the MVP back to back, I would imagine. Mm. Um, the, yeah, I, I still think to me that they are the most health base of that that top tier, even beyond the books, because I think they're sealing because they've done so well without those guys. If they can get back Tiari, if they can have Jair Alexander, yeah. if Smith is a full go. Um, you know, Rashawn Gary's been out of his mind this year. Smith has been excellent. Devondre Campbell might be the best linebacker in the league out of nowhere. I don't know what's happened there. Mm-hmm. So the, just having that three prong as, as, as you get off and go defensive players, when you know you're going to score 25 points, it's not like they, they come into any game being like, right. okay, this could have to be 10, you know, 10, 7, 17, 10. They know they're probably going to get closer to 30 if everything's clicking properly. So they, they just start at such a high level than everyone else. I think that they going into it for at, at this time, I think would should be just slightly favorites it's been great to catch up with you man i could chat to you all day and listeners can find out a lot more of your work or find a lot more of your work i should say where where should we send them uh read optional.substack.com that's the newsletter all nerdy fun football stuff you can go up there subscribe and get it straight into your inbox yeah i heartily recommend it ollie really good to catch up with you man enjoy the playoffs come check in with us soon yeah will do Love your stuff from Ollie. Uh, the read optional is where you can find him. I heartily recommend it. Really, really insightful stuff. Keeps it accessible. Learn something from him. Plenty of things from him every time we catch up and certainly from his brilliant column. So go and get involved with that. Feed your mind a little bit. Speaking of which, speaking of feeding your mind, Edge Rush. <laughs> now that's where, that's the deep dive on Edge Rush. Me and Propo. Going into week 18, neck and neck in the Drew Lock of the Week. <laughs> it's come down to the wire. And what a week for it to come down to the wire. I have, at the time of recording this, listeners, no idea whatsoever where I'm going to go with Edge Rush. I am just motivated solely by taking down Propo. Uh, so Edge Rush week 18, looking forward to that. We're going to record that Friday afternoon. So that should be up uh, early Friday evening. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Iron Mike, the review show, that's in the vault as well. Uh, it's the national championship coming up, of course. So we'll have a college days. I promised next week. I think I might have said we'd have one this week. I lied about that, but we've given you plenty of other good stuff. Next week, definitely better be back in the house for some college days and we'll look back at how the championship game played out. Enjoy week 18. Get set for the playoffs and we'll see you at the edge. Podcast Network.